Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, plays on and misses. Libba, 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 Libba. Come all to Americans watching the footy. This is Benjamin Castle. I'm joined by my brother Ethan across the bay. And today in our fourth episode, we're picking up where we left off in our 2022 home and away team by team preview. We discussed nine clubs last time and we'll tackle the other nine today. And there's no time to waste. So let's spin the wheel to see which team is next. Team number 10 in this random order breakdown is... The Dockers. And from experience as an Eagles fan, I am scared of them in Western Derbies this next season and scared of what they could potentially be. Because, you know, when you think about Fremantle, you still think of, you know, those couple older players. Uh, you think Nat Five, thank goodness he shaved. You think the ageless wonder that was David Monty last season, but they don't have to lead the way that they used to, even with Adam Chera being gone. The addition of Jordan Clark will definitely help them. I'm glad that they were able to figure out that trade. Darcy Tucker, who shares name with the hockey player, is interesting. I like their forward group a lot more than I did entering last year, even though it's a pretty similar group. Rory Lobb, Matt Taverner, Sam Squitkowski have all really impressed. And, you know, this is obviously, like I said, a very trendy pick to crack the eight. I think they were a somewhat trendy pick last year. I think... Things definitely look more in their favor this year just from a sheer talent standpoint. This is a legitimately good squad that I think just has to take the next step and play up to their potential. Playing up to potential? How about redefining it? That's what Sean Darcy did in The Ruck. Really broke out last year. There's a reason he won the Doig medal. The club bested Ferris for Frio. He'll definitely be regarded with a lot more interest in 2022 and rightfully so. Another one that should fit your big time, Michael Frederick. I know that you liked him last year. Also had Liam Henry, who seemed to be a pretty omnipresent player, who's kind of all over the field, even if he's listed on the mock team as a midfielder, listed as a forward on the roster. He's someone who kind of finds his way up and down the ground. He's very quick, seems to always be on the ball. Another in and another out for them. Stephen Hill retired, and they also got Will Brody from Gold Coast. Looking at their injury report, is there anything really of concern there? Uh, Fife has been having his shoulder problems and he's expected to return in round one. Really, their injury report is kind of the cleanest to start the campaign. So for a team that is going to be, you know, in that middle third and is expected to make moves in that middle third, it's a nice way to start things out. Nathan Wilson could be on the mend. We'll see. Rory Lobb got banged up against the Eagles in one of the practice matches, but should be ready to go. This definitely looks like a team that should, in theory, be poised to make a move. Now, what about the fixtures? Who are their 
five doubles with? Well, obviously you have the Western Derby. You also have Melbourne, but the other ones are more favorable. Carlton, the Giants, and St. Kilda. Seeing Adam Chera back in Perth, I'm intrigued at what the reaction he's going to be. It's going to be the second year in a row where it's going to be an icy reception for an Adam returning. Thank back to Saad playing Essendon last year for the first time. Schedule looks pretty favorable for a while, but then those final six rounds are pretty intriguing. You have the Swans at home. Then round 19, you face the Tigers at Marvel. You know, the Tigers love playing at Marvel. Oh, Dibba loves that. Then they host the Demons. The very next week, they face the other grand finalists back at Marvel, taking on the Bulldogs. Then they get their home version of the Western Derby, and then they finish off the regular season in Canberra against GWS. Those final six weeks set up for a lot of intrigue. You know, it honestly wouldn't shock me all that much if they hung around the top four on the standings until those final six weeks and then took a bit of a step back and end up being a pretty intriguing race for one of the final spots in the eight. They definitely should be a team that's in contention for the eight. It's just a matter of, are they you know jostling for six at best or are they fighting for a double chance? Or could they be scrapping on the outside, looking in, needing things to go their way against top competition in the last few weeks. It, w- it would be pretty fun to have a Western Derby with serious postseason implications. And speaking of the Western Derby that we already saw with the with the community series, I was thinking of Michael Frederick because he kicked five in that. And then I'm glad you mentioned uh, Sam Switkowski. I'm not sure if we've mentioned Heath Chapman yet. And I think we kind of glossed over him on the first go-around. He's another one listed as an interchange. You know, another team that if they go with what this mock team looks like, you've got Brody, Chapman, and Mundy all starting to match on the sidelines. That's a pretty good spot to be in. And from a sheer talent standpoint, they're right up there with any of the teams that made the eighth last year, if not above a couple of them. I'm just interested to see, you know, kind of the management for those top two and really how much impact they'll have. Obviously, you know, as elder statesmen of the team and as off-field leaders, they'll be important. But Mundy's going to be turning 37 during the season, Fife is only going to be 31 in September. But for some reason, it just strikes me as older. But they're not as much of the focus as they were even two years ago. And in that in itself, there is promise for Fremantle, especially considering the spot at which they ended last year. When we talked about Fremantle as being a team that didn't make finals last year, but could definitely crack it this year. Meanwhile, the Sydney Swans, number 11 of 18, are a team that can easily go in both directions. They're a team that you caught on to really quickly last year. You were really impressed by them in the early rounds, and obviously that kept up. What was it about them that you liked so much? Give us a refresher. What I liked so much about them was how much of their success I saw coming from their youth. I mean, obviously, the first name that you think about when it comes to the Swans is Buddy, and Buddy Franklin is only five goals away from a thousand. There's a chance he gets that at Stadium Australia round one. I hope he doesn't. I hope he gets it at the SCG round two. I'd rather it have rounds one or three or maybe even wait till round four. Yeah, that's a good point from your side. I don't care as much. Um, But he's he's 35 and Josh Kennedy, their Josh Kennedy, Josh P. Kennedy is 33. But they weren't the focus those early rounds for me. Errol Golden was, Tom McDonald was, Brayden Campbell, Chad Warner, Justin McInerney's only 21. It's, 
amazing how fast their turnaround was from a couple bad years, especially a bad 2020, which we didn't anticipate, you know, considering what we had read and what we'd seen when we had just come into AFL. We had known the Swans as a team that had been around for a while, and they're definitely around again now just for different reasons. The question is, can they keep it up? Important to note that Sam Naismith or Naismith, as it's said in Australia, Naismith for us is an important basketball name, the creator of basketball, but I think it's Naismith for Sam Naismith or Naismith, and he did his ACL again. Other than two games in 2020, he hasn't played since 2017. Hopefully he's able to come back at some point. That would just be a great story and a lift for them in a couple of different ways. But they do have some support in the ruck for Tom Hickey in the form of Peter Laddams, who I mentioned earlier was traded from Port Adelaide. They also, during the community series, had Hayden McLean as the backup ruck. They are going to be missing Tom Papley for the start of the season with a hamstring injury. But my biggest takeaway from them last year was, yes, having Buddy back was cool. and He had a few really big moments, but he wasn't the reason they were successful. So their success is much more sustainable, even if, like some of the other promising young teams, they might step back a bit, have a bit of a sophomore slump. I really like their core and really like their future. And in terms of kind of that middle age range, it's a Heaney, 25, will be 26 in early May. I think a lot of them are going to end up hinging around. I think he's really going to end up being kind of the leadership phase going forward. He's got the ability to do a lot. I think he's being moved back toward the midfield more, which is intriguing considering what he's been able to do further up the ground. That we've gone this far without really mentioning Callum Mills is pretty impressive. We haven't talked about Oliver Florent, barely mentioned Dane Rampey. This is a pretty deep group, and I think that's something that nobody would have expected a year ago, was that the depth of this team is going to be so strong so fast. I do like Errol Golden a lot, obviously. He's probably the one of the new crop that caught my attention the most. I do agree that it's a more sustainable group just because of the range of ages that are viable for them. In terms of the Swans schedule, they have two against, obviously, the Giants and then also Essendon, North, St. Kilda, and the Bulldogs. So three finals teams out of that. They really jump into it right away. You've got round one at Stadium Australia. So technically, they're away version of the Sydney Derby against the Giants. They host the Cats round two. That's a game that I really want after the way last year's meeting there went. Then you go to Marvel and take on the Bulldogs. You go a couple of Friday and Thursday matches early on. That'll be pretty intriguing. They head to Tasmania this season. It's a pretty quality schedule throughout, though. There are a couple of stretches, especially towards the end, that could look pretty favorable. You know, after those first three games, they host North, then they go on the road. So this is an interesting road stretch. You've got the Eagles on the road, and then you go to Tasmania the very next week to take on the Hawks. There's a potential trap there. Especially with the long trip, Perth. And Tasmania is not a short trip either. Then it softens up again with a couple of fixtures against the likes of the Suns and Blues. They get to buy round 13 and then come back from it. Um, They have a very fortunate buy because the week before they have the Demons at the G and the week after they have Port in Adelaide. Not to mention they're playing Richmond right before playing Melbourne. Uh, Richmond round 11, Melbourne 12. So it's a pretty intriguing schedule. And considering the way matchups look, as much as I've kind of picked them as a bit of a rival personally, I know longtime Cats fans will say the Hawks, but I just... 
haven't seen a good enough Hawks team to feel that rivalry. Considering their matchups, it's nice that they're ascending to relevance again because they're going to be relevant just about every week with who they're matched up against. Whereas in 2020, it was like, oh, the Swans are on. Okay. Yeah, it really was kind of like that. It was kind of like that for the Swans, North, Crows. That first season for us, it was like, okay, do we really have to watch this? Of course, we usually did. Favorable ending to the schedule, I would say. I was just going to get into that. You know, they have the Bulldogs in Sydney round 17, then they go to Frio round 18, but after that, Crows at home, Sydney Derby at home, North Melbourne at Marvel, Pies at home, Saints at Marvel. So that's pretty friendly, and they're playing... The only game at a really interesting side for them is that one in Tasmania, and that's against the Hawks in round six. And of course, there's all they're going to have that that old South Melbourne base still there. They are, I believe, the largest fan base, not necessarily the largest membership. That's West Coast with Richmond shortly behind. But I believe the Swans are the largest fan base, period, in the AFL. I mean, they had all of New South Wales for a while and still a decent following in South Melbourne. So it's not really a surprise. Um, then when they took- get basically to South Australia and Western Australia, they pretty much have vocal backing everywhere, which definitely doesn't hurt. I don't know how much of an effect it plays, but it can't be a negative. Doesn't hurt that the back of their jumpers have SMFC on it. Not a coincidence at all. Not at all, boy! <laughs> Hitting the two-thirds point overall here. Well, we're not going to go very far at all. Um... I hear brass. Lots and lots of jazzy brass. How big of a big sound will the Greater Western Sydney Giants be this year, Ethan? That's a good question. They were a team that I don't think a lot of people saw sneaking into the eighth last year. And not only did they sneak in, they knocked out their rivals, although it was in Tasmania instead of in Sydney before running out of gas against the Cats. And you know, I was mixed. I was happy to see the Swans fall, but I was hoping the Cats would get to do it themselves. I think this is a team that has some of the more interesting names on their roster, just from a standpoint of fun names to say. Harry Himmelberg, Tim Taranto, Bobby Hill. Dang it, Bobby. Another one uh, to watch out for in terms of names. Braden Preuss, is that how you pronounce it? Or Bruce? Either way, uh... He's someone that's definitely going to be uh, asked to exert a lot this year because Shane Mumford retired, and that's definitely a big hole that he leaves. They also have two Lockies and a third Lachlan. Both Lockies are listed on that mock team, Lockie Whitfield and Lockie Ash, and then they also have Lachlan Keefe on the roster. A couple of interesting absences, though. Don't see Matt DeBoer listed. He's been in health and safety protocols, but also, according to the Fox Footy article, isn't a lock for the best 22 anymore. Obviously, you're missing Toby Green for the first five weeks, so that's going to probably shift more opportunities to Tim Taranto. As an Eagles fan, one thing to note is that Jared Brander, he's an old Giants Academy kid, has come home after being delisted on the West Coast. He's reportedly training as a forward after never really having stability in Perth. He was asked to go between midfield and forward a lot. And for his sake, hopefully he's able to find a solid spot and actually be kept there by Leon Cameron. I'm kind of impressed that as of this point, we haven't even mentioned Eyebrow Man. I'm his eyebrow. 
Stephen Canelio, one of the better followers in the league. One thing I did want to mention is, you know, they're going to be looking to fill the hole because we mentioned the guys going home and Jeremy Finlayson went home to South Australia joining Port. So he's definitely going to be difficult to replace. You wouldn't think between Jeremy Cameron's departure and now Jeremy Finlayson, this would be a team with legitimate finals aspirations, but they've still got a pretty strong forward group. And that's even without Toby Green for the first few weeks. For me, Bobby Hill, even with his marquee ability, is someone who just kind of snuck into the spotlight for me. Maybe it's just because I was preoccupied with, you know, looking at Toby Green or perhaps Jesse Hogan and Harry Himmelberg. Hogan's definitely going to have a bit more of a burden on him with Green out. And also trying to trying to see who Canelio's falling. He's definitely on notice, though, after down 2021. But yeah, Bobby Hill is someone I who I didn't realize, you know, just kind of what abilities he had other than leaving until some point last season. I think there's some questions in the defensive corpse for sure. Outside of Lockie Whitfield, it's definitely questionable there. One nice thing is they've got Jacob Hopper listed as an interchange because they're in pretty good shape in the midfield. But I think they're a team that their back could be a bit of a concern, even though they didn't give up too many lopsided scores. Last year with the pace they play, sometimes they were stuck in their own end for quite a while. And... Other things of concern looking toward their fixture, they're definitely going to be competing with some teams that are, you know, in that middle third a lot. You've got the lines of the Bulldogs from last year's finals group, but you're also seeing doubles with the Blues, Dockers, and Swans, of course. That might be the deepest of any of the teams we've looked at so far for who they match up with twice, even if it's not... As top-heavy, it's a deep group, and they've got some pretty unforgiving road stretches. Uh, Rounds four and five back-to-back road trips to face the Dockers and Demons. They've got, as you said, I believe four matches in Canberra, or how many are they playing in Canberra? It is four. Uh, Anzac weekend is the first against St. Kilda. That's the Friday. Then round eight against the Cats. And then round 18 against the Lions and finishing the season against Fremantle in a match that could have all sorts of implications when it comes down to it. I think that, yeah, along with the Bulldogs, this may be the toughest schedule. As a reminder, the Bulldogs have Geelong, Greater Western City themselves, Hawthorne, Melbourne, and Sydney Swans. You look at the final four weeks, could be a lot of games with finals implications. Assuming they hang around that long, you've got... The Swans at the SCG, then they host the Bombers, then they go to Marvel to face the Bulldogs and finish it off with the Dockers in Canberra. Really, there's potential for their last seven rounds to really all be crucial. Before you have that Sydney Derby in round 20, you've got a trip to Adelaide Oval to play Port, then Brisbane in Canberra, and then you got the Blues, who are a team that we haven't discussed yet, and who the heck knows uh, what is going to be happening with them? I do think rounds six through 10 look pretty friendly after they have those back-to-back weeks against Frio and the Demons. They host St. Kilda in Canberra. They go to Adelaide to take on the Crows. They do have a pretty tough one in Canberra against the Cats round eight, but then softens up a little bit. They have three straight home matches in all because then they return back to the showground for the next couple of weeks against the Blues and Eagles. So there are definitely opportunities there for the Giants to really 
take over and take advantage of that spot and put themselves into a good position heading up towards the bye. And that's where I'm wondering where Toby Green not being around for those first five might not be the end of the world for them. It isn't an easy first five, though. You open, of course, with going to Stadium Australia for the Sydney Derby, where who knows, they might invade the Oval. Then traveling to play Richmond, hosting Gold Coast in the middle is a nice break, hopefully, for them. But then those two at Fremantle and at Melbourne. One other question I have, I know we've got a bit long on the Giants here, but will they have an actual sort of home field advantage? Because they had some of the smallest home crowds last year, restrictions or not. It seemed like it was usually a pretty tepid atmosphere out there. So I'm wondering what it's going to be like for them this season, if they're going to be able to really ride any sort of home crowds at all, or if they're kind of going to play like nomads. Certainly a major question and one that has largely plagued the Giants even when they were prominent getting into the grand final in 2019. They have struggled to find their base, much like their expansion brethren. All right, we're two-thirds of the way through. As much as we'd like to go on more about Stephen Canelio and his eyebrow, it's time to shift gears. Benjamin, who is team number 13 as the randomizer has decided? It's a team that cannot stay out of the news one way or the other, despite their on-field struggles. It's Collingwood. Or perhaps it's because of their on-field struggles, partially, that they've stayed in the news. After all, they do have a new head coach in Craig McRae, and it's going to be very interesting to see the changes between him and Nathan Buckley start to develop. I never really thought that Bucks was the one problem, but I mean, it made sense for him to be a fall guy, even with the 2018 grand final appearance. It was clear that there was some sort of change of direction needed, and that was where it had to come from. Well, there was also the change of direction up top with the damning release of the Do Better report and the overdue resignation of Eddie McGuire, but that is less of a discussion that we're going to have right now. Jordan Degoe simply having to pay a fine and continue his community service. There will be no suspension in line for him. You know, looking at the roster right away, this does not look like a team that should finish as low as 17th again. They don't necessarily look like a finals team. They at least look like a team that you would think would fit somewhere between 10th and 14th, you know. Obviously, I'm excited to see Mason Cox hopefully stay in the lineup longer term. Obviously, there will be a lot of eyes on Nick Dacos. I think this is actually a pretty intriguing team, even when you take out the off-field drama, because there's just such an interesting mix of players who could be pretty effective or could really fall off. You know, Braden Maynard suspended for the first two rounds. It's funny because when I've looked at him... He's such an easy player to hate on the field, but off the field, he seems like a super likable guy, which seems to happen more often than not with a lot of the footy players, you know, Tom Lynch, among others. Um, Richmond Tom Lynch, not North Tom Lynch. I'm just curious to see what they can do from a culture and chemistry standpoint, because the talent is there for them to at least be a half-decent team, even with an aging core. Certainly an aging core. That was the big point I was going to make. You know, Pendlebury, Sidebottom, the names that were on the tip of everyone's tongue when they made that 
2018 grand final one of the best games in the past few years and some of that i've gone back to watch even before i was sold on being an eagles fan but there are some intriguing ends we highlighted nick dacos of course uh as a father son he'll be there with josh who has definitely made some waves himself and then uh patrick lipinski comes in having been traded from the bulldogs he is coming off an ankle injury but should be ready to go though Nathan Kruger, who came over from the Cats, was suspended for round one. And obviously, we mentioned the Maynard suspension. Um, during their community series match, a lot of negative reviews for Mason Cox. And it sounds like there's a chance Darcy Cameron can supplant him. But it sounds like Mason will get the spot. I hope Mason gets to stay in there for a prolonged period, finally. Obviously, biased here, but really like Oh, him. yeah. I think defensively, even before Dacos, I actually really like what they have with Quainer, Pendlebury, and Howe. And then midfield-wise, I like Steel Side Bottom a lot. There are a lot of names and pieces on this roster that I really like. And it's just a matter of culture and chemistry. You know, hopefully, if you're a Collingwood fan, you're hoping to have more culture than a tub of yogurt. It's not a Collingwood team that's interesting for the same reason as Collingwood of the past for a decent stretch before last year. But it's a Collingwood team that is certainly intriguing for other reasons. And one way or another, they're going to be in the headlines at various points of this season, and they're going to have to embrace that. And if they get the culture right, as much as I hate to hammer home that word again and again, because it's just kind of an empty buzzword at times, I think it actually is pretty significant with their current standing and just the type of season that they're coming off. Looking at their doubles, Adelaide, Carlton, Essendon, Gold Coast, Melbourne. So only two final squads out of that. That's... Not bad. And one of them being and one of them being, you know, a borderline one considering the way that, that their fixture ends. Disappointing that they only play Port Adelaide once and don't play them in Adelaide, considering all of the drama over the prison bars and such over the last couple of years, they play them at the G in round twenty. That was an interesting one when they had that last year. Uh Port nearly crapped the bed on that and then a late Charlie Dixon smother turned things around. I wish they'd been able to Play him at Adelaide uh, this year. It's something that's been on the radar to see again with that drama. Looks like they're playing the Eagles just once, and that is at Marvel, not at the G. Interesting. Ouch. That's usually a pretty intriguing matchup. I think it's more intriguing when it's at Optus than when it's in Melbourne, but it's still got some intrigue to it. Considering how unwatchable that Pies-Cats match was last year, I guess it's a good thing they're only playing once, although that was also just two teams having a crap day, so maybe that ends up being a super intriguing game in round three. Should be to no one's surprise they're playing at just about all the standard venues, not like they're going off to anything unusual because they're such a big draw that's pretty standard. That end-of-the-season stretch does look pretty daunting over the final five rounds going Bombers and Power, those that are both at home, and then they stay at the G for what's technically an away match against the Demons. Then they go to Sydney, and then they wrap it up back at the G against Carlton, who they don't face until round 11 this year. Usually they seem to face them pretty early, but they don't get them until round 11. They don't really have any of the super crazy intriguing matchups in the first couple weeks. They start off with the Saints in that 
Friday night tilt, which I'm sure will be interesting just because everything with the pies is, and then they host the Crows. But it's not like they get hit with, you know, this gauntlet like they had to open the season the last couple of years. So I think that may give them a chance to find their land legs. I mean, last year they started off Bulldogs with the Trelore storyline, then the Pies, then the Lions. And the, the Lions was the one that uh, the venue got switched on. And that was uh, another Marvel home game. So be wary to see, uh, I don't know, maybe a healthy Oscar Allen after the siren. I don't know, but it's definitely a weird situation in that none of their individual matches to start the season are really big headline grabbers. I mean, look, round three, is there really going to be, you know, he's a good player and I'm excited to see him be in a role that could fit his skill set more than he had with the cats. But is there really that much intrigue around Nathan Kruger facing Geelong for the first time? It's not like the same sort of intrigue of, you know, Adam Trelore facing the pies or even say Jeremy Cameron facing the giants or something like that. It's going to be interesting to see how they start the year. They kind of have a chance to, find their footing before really stepping into the gauntlet. Um, rounds 8 through 10 get pretty tough. You've got the Tigers, Bulldogs, which is a home match at Marvel, and then they go out to Optus to take on the Dockers. So, interesting stress. I'm surprised they have so many games. They have two home matches at Marvel. You know, they only play at Marvel three times all year, but two of those are home legs against the Eagles and Bulldogs, which is peculiar it's the only time they play the bulldogs and it's at marvel so this is a little bit odd yeah we'll be interesting to see you know what their reaction is perhaps they're more accepting considering their less advantageous position coming in the season where richmond just dimma throws any insult he can at the wall and see what sticks without getting fined but heck i think richmond actually won their last season at some point yeah i think they had a Pretty nice comeback against the Giants in one of those matches, actually. Um, One guy who I'm not seeing listed to start the season that I've always had a bit of interest in just through the um, family connection is Oliver Henry, but he doesn't seem to be anywhere to be found in any sort of report at all. So maybe he's just not being looked at favorably by the club right now. It's going to be interesting to see who emerges. And I think, again, those first few weeks kind of give them a good blank canvas without the major pressures that usually arrive. With that, we're going to be going ahead to team number 14 of 18. Another team that is definitely looking up in the Adelaide Crows. I mean, really had a terrible go with things when we started watching. They were 0-13 to start 2020, showed promise at the end of the first COVID campaign. 2021 started out for them close to nowhere to go but up, and up they went in the beginning. You would know Ethan as a Cats fan as well as anyone. They won three of their first four, and the bottom pretty much fell out from there. They nearly righted that ship with that bonkers Anzac Day affair in Launceston. Incidentally, that was Riley Philthorpe's debut. But despite starting 15-0 and finishing 16-3-99, They lost by three to Hawthorne, and they were never able to get anywhere close again. That said, they were definitely more compelling to watch than the prior year. You know, that 2020 season, they were just explicitly bad from start to finish. They were just basically one prolonged fart noise. 
and they improve to a team that you can't take lightly, especially going into their place. And they have some pretty interesting moments and some interesting pieces. You mentioned Phil Thorpe. I believe he was the one who had the crazy goal to beat St. Kilda in round 13 when they played out in Cairns. I think that was his. I remember the goal more than who scored it, but that was a pretty neat one. It was sort of, you know, over his head, bicycle kick type play to four points. Yeah, round 13 in Cairns last year. That was an awfully entertaining game. So they've had some moments. They've become more watchable. I think there are some pieces there now. They're going to be missing Taylor Walker for the first three weeks after he did a racism. Wayne Malera is working his way back from injury, which is definitely a positive for them. Tom, I've never figured out how to pronounce his last name. Duday. Duday. Duday is an interesting player. Rory Sloan impressed last year. Ben Keyes is always finding the ball. So at the very least, they're starting to build some pieces. Now the question becomes, can they supplement those pieces before these core guys kind of get to the point where they're less impactful by virtue of their age? So they need to kind of start accelerating and continue on the positive trajectory that they had shown from the start of last year. It needs to go from more bright individual performances to building that supplemental core. Definitely necessary when you're looking at, you know, a 31-year-old Rory Sloan that's going to be on notice, a 28-year-old Brad Crouch that is going to be on notice. Honestly, Elliot Himmelberg was a letdown for me last year, and Fogarty needs to find the ball more. That shouldn't be a problem for him, considering his ability to get space, but it was a problem at at times. A key arrival for sure in Jordan Dawson, uh, who requested the trade home from Sydney. And then the departure, perhaps not as harsh of a blow as it may have been a couple years ago. Their Tom Lynch was going to be coaching at North. Now he's on their list. I see three Lachlans listed on the roster, but I don't see any in that projected lineup. And they have used Murphy in the past, but he doesn't seem to be in the cards right now. What about their schedule? You know, they're such an interesting one because I don't think they're going to be as much of a trap game as they were last year. I think people are going to be aware of the obstacles that they can provide. I think after round one last year, people took them far less lightly. I think that's fair for sure. Another thing to note, they're also going to be missing uh, Rory Laird until round four. He's nursing a hand injury. But in terms of the Crows doubles, obviously showdown, then also Carlton, Collingwood, North, and West Coast. So only one finals team that definitely provides them some opportunities. They do open with the Dockers at home and then they've got Collingwood on the road in the first of those showdowns. I guess they get the showdown in round 23. I think there's a couple other big rivalries in round 23 as well, which I think is neat because it'll create some intrigue regardless of where the standings are. Um, I don't see too many unusual trips for them outside of going to Ballarat to take on the Bulldogs in round six. It seems like a pretty balanced schedule for the most part. Doesn't seem like any crazy gauntlet stretch that I can find really anywhere. I mean, I guess rounds three through six is probably the toughest span. You know, you've got the showdown round three, then Essendon of Marvel, host the Tigers, and then Bulldogs in Ballarat, and then you got the Giants at home round seven. But there's no real stretch that jumps out at you as a you know, oh my God, they're going to be in for it four weeks in a row or anything like that. So 
I think that provides some windows of opportunity to maybe start to work their way up, get towards, you know, maybe 14th, 13th on the ladder and give some reason for optimism moving ahead. Although there's still definitely a few pieces away. I think a couple more pleasant surprises is really what they need within the roster. You know, if a couple more guys can start to break out and impact the game like Phil Thorpe did so quickly, they can really emerge this year with a lot of positivity, even if they're not going to be a team that's going to likely compete for the eight. Although, you know, I think best case scenario might be the schedule works out so well for them that they end up in that conversation. I think that's far-fetched, but I don't think it's completely impossible. Definitely going to be interesting down the stretch with alternating weeks on the road with some substantial trips uh, toward the end of the season. Round 19 at the SCG, round 21 at Optus to play the Eagles. And well, sh- actually, Showdown is is at home, but still the, those couple weeks right there where they go to Sydney, then come back, then go to Perth, then come back. Definitely a character test for them. I mean, no trip is super long for them, but no trip is super short. I guess the Queensland trip is a bit lengthy. Obviously, they don't feel the brunt of travel like the Western teams do, but still worthwhile to know just for out-of-state travel purposes. And any trip to the West is still substantial. All right, I believe we've got four teams to go. Who do we have next? Next up are the Hawks. All right, so we're staying towards the bottom of the ladder, but again, a team that had some signs of positivity over the last year, even though they keep losing players to the Cats. You know, first it was Isaac Smith, now John Seglar. Obviously, Sean Burgoyne retired and is going to be on TV right away. I'm excited to hear his commentary. What do you have to say about the Hawks? What I'm left wondering is, was their late season success isolated or not? Was it a last burst for Alistair Clarkson? Or was it really the start of something new? As of now, I'm really thinking that it's more of the former, but obviously time will tell. The Sam Mitchell era is definitely going to be very different. You're replacing the man who was the longest tenured active head coach in the AFL and what acrimoniously. Definitely some big steps taken last year by a couple younger guns. Jack Scrimshaw and Chankwath Joth, who we've both really enjoyed watching emerge. I actually don't see Joth listed for possible round one appearance. There's a chance he misses that as he missed the match against Richmond. Jarman Impey also didn't play in that. But other than that, they do have some pretty intriguing names. Um, Chad Wingard and Jack Gunston and Luke Bruce combined to make a pretty interesting midfield. James Warple, good personal friend of Brian Myers, has impressed at times. And then Jacob Koshitsky has a nose for the goal. And, you know, he could be a guy, could even maybe make his way into that Coleman conversation if things go right, especially as there aren't that many guys that he's going to be sharing goal-scoring duties with. So there's room for some promise there. It's just a matter of, you know, how do they adapt to the new system? I was expecting you to mention, because I I left him out because I know that you were up on him. I mean, my hopes for them aren't high this season, really. I mean, something in the double digits, but a foundation is necessary. And we'll see how much of that can be provided in just this one year. Their schedule, just one finalist is a double up. That would be the Bulldogs. Otherwise, their doubles, the Suns, the Kangaroos, 
Tigers and the Saints. Kangaroos, of course, is traditional now for one of those doubles to be in Tasmania. As for those Tasmania matchups, they have four. They have the Swans there, Anzac Day weekend. That is round six. Then round 10, the Sir Doug Nichols round home game is at UTAS against the Lions. Then Gold Coast round 21, and they finish the season off with the Bulldogs round 23 in Launceston. They also play in Darwin against the Suns. That's round 11. So both their Doug Nichols rounds should be pretty interesting. It still surprises me that they only play the Cats once, that being the Easter Monday tilt, which this year the Hawks will be the home team for. Looking through in order, again, it's a with the doubles being pretty forgiving, there is still a pretty tough stretch. I think rounds five through 10 could be pretty rough for them. They go Cats at the G, Swans in Tasmania, Demons at the G, Bombers at Marvel, Tigers at the G, Lions in Tasmania. That could be a stretch that really knocks them down the ladder, or maybe they surprise and steal a couple. They have a trip to Frio right before the bye, and then facing the Bulldogs at Marvel directly after. It's a middle-heavy schedule. It's a pretty forgiving start, and down the stretch, other than finishing with the Tigers and Bulldogs, pretty friendly as well, but... Boy, that stretch of rounds five through ten could really conspire to knock them down. But don't be surprised if they come out of that and steal a few points at some point. The biggest closing statement I have for them is show me a sense of direction. You know, it's your first year with a new coach. I'm not expecting you to take the world by storm, but show me some sort of structure and direction and promise moving forward that we can be optimistic about. That's really all that can be asked for this season about the Hawks with a fresh start. Meanwhile, I just clicked the randomizer again. There's one team that may be getting a fresh start next season if things don't go their way, which I don't expect them to at all. Insert the trumpets after the goal for the Gold Coast Suns. They're a team that a lot of people have been down on after some of the opportunities they've missed out on the last couple years, but If we're going to buy into what they did in the community series, obviously they were taken that much more seriously than the Cats were, judging by the flow of play and everything. But they've shown they have some pieces. I was instantly impressed with what a natural fit Mabby Orchol seems to be. And this is a roster that I think could actually be pretty interesting. We'll see what they actually give you. You know, getting Charlie Constable healthy will make a difference. Can Matt Rowell actually stay on the field? It would be great if he could because he's so fun to watch. This is still a team that I think they have the lowest possible floor of any of the teams that could end up making some noise, but they have a decently high ceiling. I think the gap between their floor and ceiling is pretty substantial, although the floor is really low. I think think the ceiling might be getting the conversation for the eight, but that... That will require a lot to go right. I still there require a lot dark horse pick to be, you know, a team that nobody expects to be relevant and ends up being a pleasant surprise. But you're saying that despite Ben King having done his ACL. Yeah. If Matt Rowell can play up to potential, although I have a feeling he could just end up being Footy's version of Byron Buxton, where it's like he's never healthy, but boy is it fun when he is. I hope he doesn't go down that way, but I actually like 
some of the names on their roster. I really like that forward group with Rankin, Ainsworth, Lukosius, Casbolt, and Scholl. Chance for a big career revival for Levi Casbolt, having been delisted from Carlton. It's a team where the defense, I think, comes into question once again. I think that's kind of been the common theme of a lot of the weaker teams or teams that project to be weaker, and that's definitely the case for them. I don't know what to be optimistic about on the defensive end. Although, I don't see Oleg Markov listed. I believe he's been injured some, but curious to see if they do anything with him. Curious to see what happens with Alex Sexton as well, both of whom sport great mustaches in their official photos, I might add. Sexton needs to be the goal kicker he once was in Ben King's absence for things to really go right for them. And then, of course, have we even mentioned Tuke Miller yet, their club champion? In passing. I, he, I did in passing. Okay, good. He definitely exceeded my expectations last year. He was someone that I didn't think was all that good, but ended up having a pretty nice season despite everything around him being pretty poor. He wasn't all Australian last year, which... And a no, well-deserved... To be able to do... And yes, absolutely deserved it. To be able to stand out like that on a team that was as poorly managed and as poorly performing as the Suns definitely turns heads. Now, in terms of that that management and that coaching, I mentioned in an earlier segment that Stuart Dew has the hottest seat, and I don't think that's up for debate. The one nice thing is he doesn't really have, you know, heavy pressure on him from local media or anything, because it's not like they have a particularly avid following. But definitely, I think it's time to shit or get off the pod. You look at their results from last year, they still had a couple of pretty surprising wins, obviously stunning the pies at the G, a win over Richmond, a 40-point home win over Sydney. They're an interesting group that, on the right day, again, of the teams that you would expect to be towards the bottom, that ceiling is high, but can they actually make it happen for more than, you know, one or two games at a time? It's always the case that with these younger teams, it's a flash of the pan type situation that you come to expect. And I think that reflects in the fact that they are scheduled for the MCG. Is it really just once against Collingwood? They are scheduled for the MCG just once against Collingwood again. Great opportunity to segue into the schedule. Um, who are they playing twice? As for their doubles, they have the Q Clash, of course, then Collingwood, Hawthorne, North, and the Eagles. So, friendly at times. Only one double up against a team that made the finals last year. That is definitely encouraging they've got some games in interesting settings too they've got an interesting stretch rounds 10 through 12 where they go to Ballarat to face the Bulldogs and then have back-to-back weeks in Darwin where they take on the Hawks and North that could actually be a pretty interesting stretch they have with the bye week three straight home matches because they host the Crows in round 14 I don't see too many stretches of schedule that are really a gauntlet or even too many difficult back-to-back rounds I guess rounds Eight through ten could be tough, facing the Swans away, then hosting the Dockers, and then going to Ballarat to take on the Bulldogs. 17 through 20, also not the friendliest for the Suns. Uh, Hosting Richmond at Essendon, that is 
at Marvel. No surprise. We already said it there only at the G ones. And come on, they don't draw an away crowd or even a home crowd for that matter. Kind of sad. They've got then just then Q Clash at home and then Q Clash at the Gamma 19. Then the Eagles come in round 20. So I guess that would be their potential problem stretch for a team that's been full of problems. I don't know. They only played five matches in Victoria altogether. Three at Marvel, one at Ballarat, one at the G. By the way, before we segue on to our next team, I do want to mention, because I'm sure you're wondering about the whereabouts of Brian Harambe. He is currently sleeping on my bed and twitching in his sleep, meaning he is out cold. I'm sure you are all waiting on the edge of your seats for that. I just wanted to make sure that everyone knew how he's doing. Cat REM sleep is a bewildering thing to watch. I've got a video of it on his Instagram. Don't forget, follow Cat Named Brian on Instagram. Cat Named Brian, indeed. 16 down, two to go, and they share their colors. So who is the penultimate team? All right, we're moving on to Carlton, I guess. I think my standpoint on Carlton, from my outsider perspective over the last couple of years has mostly just been math because they've just never been that compelling outside of Eddie Betts doing something crazy. Even though they've got some pretty intriguing players, maybe it's that their fight song is dull. Maybe it's that their uniforms are dull. I don't know what it is, but I found it especially hard to get excited about them. Even though I look at their roster and there are a lot of intriguing names, you know, on the back, you've got, Adam Saad, Sam Doherty, Mitch McGovern, Adam Sarah in the middle. You've got Patrick Cripps. You've got Jack Silvani, Harry Mackay, who was a lot of fun to watch the back and forth with him and his brother last year. And this is without Sam Walsh missing the season's open. He's got a syndesmosis injury. And syndesmosis, by the way, is not a term that I knew before getting into AFL. And for those of you American viewers who are like, what the hell is syndesmosis? The definition from Oxford, an immovable joint in which bones are joined by connective tissue. When you see the syndesmosis injury being mentioned, it's usually an issue with the connective tissue between the tibia and the fibula at the ankle. Looking ahead, though, I mean, they have some intriguing players. They open up They open up once again with Richmond at the G. Seems like that happens far more often than not. Injury-wise, they did have Charlie Curnow back for the Community Series. Sam Walsh could actually make his way back. It's unlikely, according to Patrick Cripps. Seems like round two or three is more likely, but he has an outside shot at even playing in round one, so that's definitely a boost for them. I'm sure to see what they do, because they seem like a team that's just kind of sat there, kind of flat for the last few years, kind of plateaued, and I'm ready to see if they sink or swim instead of just kind of sit there in this same zone they've been in for a while. I don't know how the hell we've gone this long without talking about the fact that, yes, welcome to the Michael Voss era. Legendary three-time premiership player with the Brisbane Lions, just like our buddy Lynchy. He was last the Port Adelaide midfield manager from 2014 to 21, and he's definitely bringing some changes. The Community Series win versus Melbourne indicated some potential improvements. They seem to be carrying the ball a bit longer, and their defensive spacing seems to be on the right track. And yes, 
the list is an intriguing one for a team, surprisingly intriguing for a team that has been unremarkable. Adam Chera, probably the biggest get in a trade, getting him from Fremantle. Key departures, we mentioned Eddie Betts retiring, Mark Murphy retired, Liam Jones retired due to a brain injury. Levi Caswell was delisted and is now at the Gold Coast. Sam Petreski-Seaton, is he key? Notable, at least, traded to the Eagles. And yeah, in terms of who is there, Caleb Marchbank is expected between rounds five and eight, finishing his ACL recovery. And going back to Jack Silvani, even mentioned him just in passing there, he impressed really everywhere he was asked to fill in last year, a round peg fitting into a lot of holes. And I'm interested to see if he continues in that utility role or if Michael Voss finds him a steadier position. This is a team that I've paid a little bit less attention to that I'm ready to start taking more interest in because I think they could be pretty intriguing this year one way or another. Normally, it's that I was more interested in who they were playing against, but I'm definitely going to watch them a bit more closely this year and try to see what they're all about in this Michael Voss era. As for the schedule, I know they're going to play Collingwood twice, as they always do, but what else do they have? Absolutely, Collingwood twice, no question. And then otherwise, Adelaide, Fremantle, Greater Western Sydney, and I guess you could call them their secondary rival in Richmond. So you've got just one finalist from last year, but a couple that are on the cusp of doing something, Richmond and Frio being those two. They've got the right matchups to potentially put things together. I think that they are the team with the biggest gap between floor and ceiling, and I think that you're right on. It's sink or swim, and an easier fixture than a lot of sides will really let us know if they're able to swim right away or if they even have trouble treading water. What big stretches do you see for them? They have a few stretches with really difficult two-game spans. You know, opening with Richmond and the Bulldogs is definitely not easy. Hosting Port and then going out to face Frio the very next week is tough. Those are rounds five and six. They've got a decent three-game stretch out of the bye, rounds 13 through 15, where they face Essendon and Richmond, both as away games at the G, and then host Fremantle at Marvel. And then down the stretch, you've got rounds 21 and 22 back-to-back. You've got the Lions in Queensland, and then Melbourne is technically the home team for a matchup at the G. So a lot of good two-game stretches, but really no three- to four-week stretch where you're just absolutely floored by the quality of competition. So I'm curious to see. I think they're a team that their season could really hinge on. Do they catch teams at the right time, or do teams catch them? You know, if you're facing an opponent coming off a big win, might be a bit of a letdown spot. They could jump on that. Or if they're facing a team that's frustrated after a bad loss, could come in and really stick it to them. I think circumstances out of their control could really play a lot in what their season looks like. With that said, finals, is it too lofty an expectation for the first season? I know it's the expectation for their brass. I mean, it is really going to be a packed middle third. I'm thinking that more than anything, this is going to amount to a teething season. They're going to cut their teeth into a lot of things. They're going to be growing pains. But within two to three years, they ought to be something again. 
McCarver to sub one. Ethan also briefly mentioned the backfield. I think a lot is going to hinge on him. I've talked a bit about make or break areas or make or break players. This is kind of a make or break year for him. He's at a bit of a crossroads and he has to put up or shut up. You know, they're kind of what can be in the box of mystery. It could be anything. It could even be a boat. Will that boat be able to float though? Or will it have some holes in it that need desperate plucking? To continue the sink or swim metaphor all the way into our transition into the last team, a team that may have to ditch some of its most prized items soon. And Ethan, you are going to be talking a lot on this because somehow we've bookended it with our favorite sides. Thank you, Randomizer. Yes, it is time to finally talk about the Geelong Cats. I have been waiting for this. This is obviously the team I am the most well-versed in. You know, last season, very promising mid-season stretch after being a bit slow out of the gate. Kind of sputtered to the finish with, obviously, the round 23 result against Melbourne, but also that dud at home against GWS. There are some injuries entering this season. You know, Mitch Duncan's status is going to be up in the air. We'll see about Gary Rowan. Sam Menegola or Menengola didn't play in the community series. Tom Stewart didn't play, but he should be good to go for sure. Ryan Myers had ankle syndesmosis, so we'll see when he's ready to go. Did Ryan Harambe wake up when he said that? No, he is out cold. Um, Jack Henry, I think he's going to be ready to go, but we'll see what's up there. I still think it's not quite doom and gloom yet, even if the run is going to end sometime soon. I really like this group and think that this could be a really quality team still because I look at the individual performances last year and other than Tom Stewart and maybe Brendan Parfit, I don't see too many guys who played up at their ceiling. Maybe you can make that case for Cam Guthrie as well, but I still really like this group, even with the injuries. Now there are still concerns that I have certainly, you know, with some of Chris Scott's decisions, like having Quentin Narkle, chained up in a basement somewhere. They seem to have a he love resigned. affair. With, they did. And they seem to have a love affair with Zach Guthrie, but he just put on 20 pounds of muscle and looked promising in that community series match where with where the cats are, you're looking more at the individual performances than the overall team. A healthy Tom Stewart obviously changes a lot. And then I think there was some addition by subtraction in Lockie Henderson retiring. It was time for him to go. I'm interested to see if a couple guys can bounce back. Guys that I really liked in 2020 that struggled last year. I didn't see a lot out of Sean Higgins. I didn't see a lot out of Mark Blitzobs, who used to be a steeplechaser. You know, I have to mention that every time you mention his name. And didn't see much out of Reese Stanley, where Asaba Radagalea actually ended up really impressing. And I think I'd like to see more of Radagalea. If you're looking at this mock team projection, it came out just a couple days ago. They've got Stanley starting in the rock with Radagalea as an interchange. What's going to be really interesting is, you know, how do they choose to insert guys? How do they choose to manage guys like Joel Selwood? Because there are older pieces, and it's more about keeping these guys fresh. And what's encouraging, though, is I think there are enough supplemental pieces to help get them through this. They're very excited about Max Holmes' development. Tyson Stengel has drawn fantastic reviews. It was always just a matter of getting him right off the field and having Eddie Betts working with the club definitely helps with that. I think this could be a team that really doesn't have to ride 
the main guys quite as much as in past years. Although, obviously, Tom Stewart showed his worth both when he was playing and when he was out injured as one of the best defenders in the entire competition. And I'm really hoping we get to see a fully healthy Jeremy Cameron because there are some games where Tom Hawkins was really hit or miss. You know, if he sprayed that first kick wide, he was usually in for a pretty rough outing. And if he hit that first one, you could be in for four or five goals. And when you have both him and Cameron out there, that's a team that can produce goals at an incredibly high percentage. So I'm excited to see more of those two actually playing together, as well as a healthy Brendan Parfit. And then see if Jed Buse can keep up what he gave last year. He had concussion concerns in the community series, but should be good to go for round one against the Bombers. And a couple interesting guys come through the pipeline where I'm much more satisfied with the depth, where if a guy like Selwood needs a week off, giving guys like Cooper Stevens and Sam DeConing an opportunity. I think this could actually be a really intriguing team from a depth standpoint, where my biggest concerns are really just keep the main pieces healthy, because that's what hurt last year. And can Chris Scott manage a style that fits his players rather than try to put a round peg into a square hole or a square peg into a round hole as it usually goes either or one thing to note as we're looking ahead statistical tidbit first because i picked up on this pretty quickly in 2020 the cats have a knack for winning when gary rowan actually manages to score multiple goals and it's a pretty remarkable rate looking at the games in which gary rowan scored two goals in his time in Geelong they've won about 10% more than normal just in his time there 2019 to 21 721 when he scored two goals uh 19 to 23 826 and the percentages are even better going back to his time in Sydney so when he manages to get hot it's usually a great sign can he get hot when it matters and it's going he's vanished in some finals matches that said, I also think, and I'm going off a bit here, you know, I'm biased here, obviously, but I think that last year was, mostly because of injuries, a pretty disappointing campaign for Brian Myers, who I think could be another of the supplemental guys who could really take this team to the next level. When you get not just an early goal out of him, because he usually starts matches super quick, if you can get two or three goals out of him a couple times... That's the X factor that can really put this team over the edge where this could, if the supplemental guys do their part, this could really be one of the deepest teams in the entire competition. I really believe in that. Just a matter of those supplemental guys stepping up. Can Brad Close take the next step? Can Reese Stanley return to form? Can Mark Blitzobs return to form? Can Jake Kolejashny score a second goal? And make more guys get butt tattoos. As lousy of a game as that was, the loss to GWS, where the team played even flatter than you would expect in an empty stadium, his goal was an awesome moment that I'm very happy got commemorated in the form of butt tattoo. As I hope that they get every goal that he gets, or tattoos just in some, I guess, compromising area. But as I was saying earlier... Or at least a tally mark on each one. Yeah. As I was saying, it's going to matter a lot. Because looking at those doubles, one of them is North. St. Kilda is a team that could be up or down, but there's also Port. The Eagles, they tend to have really one way or another, and they get the Bulldogs twice. 
No shortage of entertainment there. As you mentioned, nine games that are actually at the Cattery, which could look interesting with some of the renovations that are currently going on. You might have, you know, Sunlit Stadium in a construction zone. So nowhere near as many trips to the G. They've got still five games there, but only two being home matches, those being against Richmond and Essendon to start the season. It's actually where they're doing the country festival is that round one match with Essendon. They also go to Tasmania to face the Roos in round six, and then round eight go to Canberra to take on the Giants. Other than that, they're just at the usual settings. What's interesting when you're talking about what I was talking about, those nine games at the Catteries, I just wonder how much the unique dimensions of that venue impact Chris Scott's coaching style. And I wonder if that's just a little something that is going to help them get the edge in those games in a way that they missed the past couple of years. It's something that's been on my mind as, you know, a potential underrated factor. Of course, when it comes down to finals, they won't have the luxury of playing at Cardinia Park unless there's some more interesting COVID developments. Every year there are discussions about it. You know, are they going to play finals at home instead of at the G? And every time the answer is the same. It seems like that's something that's not going to change for a while. So until further notice, expect finals to be there. It's nice to be talking about finals and the hope of being in the finals before the season even starts. And yes, there are a few naysayers that think the bottom's going to fall out from under them and they're going to collapse. It's going to be ugly. But I think that's still at least a couple years away. And it's a matter of getting a flag before that time comes. As for interesting stretches on the schedule, there are only a couple of really nasty multi-game stretches, I think. Having the Power and Bulldogs in a three-week stretch with the Crows in between is not ideal, but the Power and Crows are both at home, and then the Bulldogs are at Marvel. Out of the bye, you go straight to Perth, then have the Tigers at the G. And then you've got rounds 19 through 20. You go to the Adelaide Oval and then host the Bulldogs, so that's... Not a particularly easy stretch, but I don't see any stretch in there despite having the pretty tough set of teams they play twice. I don't see any stretch of you know three to four games that really looks that devastating, though. We know how this team starts the season, and it won't be an easy start to the season, especially for a team that's known for some slow starts. You got the Bombers, then you go to Sydney to take on the Swans then Collingwood at the G, and then Friday night at home against the Lions. I'm glad they get the Lions at home on a Friday again, as I mentioned, when we were breaking down the line. Should be pretty intriguing. It's pretty fun when those teams get together. And looking at the ending stretch, three of their final four games are at the Cattery. The Dogs, 21 against the Saints, and their closer against the Eagles. and. Having those late-season home field advantages, those late-season Cardinia Park home field advantages, might just be gets them through the toughest parts of the late winter. I'm excited for them to have proper home crowds. It only got to happen a couple of times last year. And I think for the Cats versus a team that shares a stadium, there's something pretty unique about it that really hasn't been there the last couple of years. You know, the only team that's really gotten to have that over a prolonged stretch is the Lions, and I'm excited for the Cats to get more of that, even as the stadium undergoes renovation. All right, with that, I think 
time to make our predictions that'll surely hold up really well because we are experts. I mean, we've been watching this sport for a whole two years with our outsider perspective. So we're the authority to go to here. Oh, absolutely. And I'm helped to see, you know, us being hailed as the Nostradami that we are. Is that the plural for Nostradamus? Nostradamus sounds clunky. Nostradami it is for me. Um, who do you see jumping in and out of the eight? I think this is a pretty safe prediction, but I'm going to go with Richmond and Fremantle coming in, taking the spots of GWS and Essendon. I think if there was a third, maybe Carlton could jump in if the Swans suffer a serious sophomore slump, but I don't think so. I think I'm just rolling with those two, and other than that, we're going to have six holdovers from last year. But again, if the stars align and the suns get in, you heard it here first. I am nowhere near as high on Gold Coast, even with as high as their ceiling may be. The ceiling is more like the roof for them and isn't as high as I think Ethan thinks it is. I think Gold Coast are probably my bet for the spoon, honestly. Ben King being out for the year certainly does not help. Further up, I am on your track with Greater Western Sydney and Essendon potentially being bounced by Richmond and Fremantle. I'm high on the Swans, which is weird to say as, I mean, yes, that rivalry has died down, but hopefully it comes back. But I don't know. I just feel like the Swans are another very vulnerable team, and I feel better about saying the Greater Western Sydney is out than I do about saying Essendon is out. Um, I'm, I'm the opposite there. Maybe it's the power of Stephen Canelio's eyebrow, but I think some of the top talent that the Giants have could be enough to get them through. Top talent is one thing. Young, de- young depth is another. I do feel better about Sydney than the others, and it's also why I feel better about Fremantle because they have a younger depth that I think a lot of people had not realized until last year. In terms of that win over Richmond, I think was really when people started to take notice of what Fremantle's building. And then the home Western Derby in round 22 was, especially considering the way that that rivalry had gone with that being on a pretty nasty schneid before that. In terms of the top, this is where things get a bit more interesting. I mean, it's hard to argue with Melbourne being out of the four. For me, it's hard to see Geelong out of the four. But I think there's two other spots that are really going to be open. I think it's still, you know, five contenders for those four with the Lions, Power, and Bulldogs as the main contenders to go with the two you already mentioned. I would say that out of those, I feel like Port has the lowest floor out of those. Interesting, because I see them as a team with a pretty high floor with their history of being able to beat up on weaker sides. I see that as evidence of a high floor, but their struggles against better teams being evidence of a lower ceiling. What's what's your reasoning there? Maybe it's just that I'm used to them faltering late, that that kind of spreads over into my way of thinking about them at the end of the home and away season. There's also my, my question of just, you know, how much they are able to hold up that midfield, even with, you know, the younger group that they have 
I don't think we actually mentioned Carl Amon when we were talking about Port at all. That's kind of stunning to me because as a kind of a hybrid mid forward has really emerged as a key figure for them. And I think if they are going to be able to manage things well, he's going to be the reason why. I mean, we all know our predictions are going to fall apart and the top four will probably consist of some mix of the Crows, probably some Hawks in there. Yes, Crom, Hawks, North. And then that fourth spot could be pretty wide open. Where the Eagles, the West Coast Eagles, write them off. I still think they're going to be a really tough out at home. But I'm excited. This is the season's fast approaching. All of this while, if you're an American follower, you're also probably excited about NCAA tournament, baseball announcing that they are reaching a collective bargaining agreement and are going to get in a full season just with the first week of games being rescheduled. So there's going to be a lot going on, but we will be here every week for you. This has been Americans Watching the Footy. And now that we've got our previews out of the way, in the next couple of days, we're going to do another recording session and get ready to push out our round one preview. And then we're going to get into this rhythm for a while where pretty much each week we're going to preview the round. Then in the day or two after, we're going to have our recap show. And then in the day or two before the next round, we'll have the preview and hopefully work in some interviews from there. We've already got a few fans of the podcast and fans of the sport, especially among the small but loyal American following that have reached out. And that's been wonderful. You know, it's been great to see that people are already taking interest in this and that there is a small but dedicated following to this fantastic sport. And I'm excited to continue building our connections there. You've been reaching out some within the community. Do you have anything else you want to add there? I'm really grateful for the people that have reached out just to say, you know, great to see this. Keep it up. I plugged it a bit on Reddit pretty shamelessly. And, you know, they've taken to it well. I think there's just a general excitement around the fan base growing outside of Australia. And I think that fan base is becoming more avid as time has gone on. There's definitely some allure to this sport that sticks with you, even with other sports coming around. And it doesn't hurt that it usually doesn't really compete against that much time-wise for us here. I am willing to work the night shift in terms of my circadian rhythm or not really have a circadian rhythm at all in order to catch some of this. I'm looking forward to carrying Brian Harambe around my room at 5 a.m. singing the fight song after a thrilling win like last year's Gary Rowan after the siren against the Bulldogs. And I am looking forward to not waking up my roommate as I try to suppress myself seeing we're flying high after the rare unexpected triumphs that the Eagles have. And not waking up my parents when I'm home. Thank you again for tuning in to Americans Watching the Footy, this two-part preview. You can find us on Twitter at Americans Footy. Again, that is at Americans Footy. You can find me at BenjaminHK01. And you can find me at Castle, K-A-S-S-E-L Media on Twitter. And you can find Brian Harambe on Instagram at CatNamedBrian. Because remember, we all know that's what you're here for. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you again soon. We are excited to get this season underway. Make sure when you get the chance, go grab your meat pies. They're actually, if you're in the U.S. looking for them, Safeway actually carries some pretty good frozen ones that you can heat up in the oven. I'll certainly be filling up on those. 
and enjoy this last week of sanity before the madness of the home and away season starts. We look forward to seeing you again in the very near future. Have a great rest of your day.